I do believe that wisdom is something that is very important, and we should do everything we can to acquire it. The Bible even says that it is more precious than gold or rubies. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. That from a child you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And you can see in verse 15 there, it says the scriptures are able to make thee wise unto salvation. So wisdom through Proverbs. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. We are grateful that we are able to study your word. Lord, give us insight. And let this be a message that speaks to our hearts. Let it be a teaching that gives us understanding. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Verse 15 is very plain that the scriptures have the ability to make us wise. And no matter where you start in the scripture, whether it's in Genesis, the scripture certainly can enlighten you concerning the beginning of things. The word Genesis means the the beginning. So the start of how God made the heavens and the earth, the start of how God made man, the beginning of how God started over with Noah's generation, with how he started to make Israel through Abraham. The book of Genesis talks about all of that. And if you want any kind of insight in in connection with that, it's good to study that. If you take the time to study the Gospels, you learn everything you need to know about Jesus. There are no other ancient texts that are available that give the insight, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And believe me, when people write about Jesus, no matter where they begin, they have to begin with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the oldest documents. If you want to learn about the end times, read Paul's writings. Take a look at the book of Revelation. But if we're going to talk about wisdom, there is one book, and I could probably add Ecclesiastes with it, but certainly one book whose main objective is the impartation of wisdom to us or the formation of wisdom in us, and that's the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs has 31 chapters, and I don't have a doubt that if anybody takes the time to read it, they will find a lot of things they can learn in order to live this life. Life lessons are available in the book of Proverbs. Paul told Timothy that he should continue in the things that he has learned, in verse 14, and has been assured of knowing of whom he's learned them. See, if if I tell you the Bible is the inspired, infallible, and errant word of God, I'm also telling you that you should continue in what you hear. Don't believe what other people tell you about the Bible. Believe what the Bible says of itself. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It comes from God. Individuals who were holy, men and women, spake as they were moved or inspired by the Holy Spirit. So when when they began to write the words of God, it was because they did so with the help and aid of the Holy Spirit. I realize in generation after generation, you do have people that copy things wrong. They misspell things and all of that. But we need to know in ancient times, people didn't have dictionaries. So there were no standardized ways of spelling 
names and things like that when you are reading them. And you also want to know that the scripture, when you read it, meditate on it, reflect on it, this is the thing that's able to make you wise-hearted. It helps you to see where you're going right, and it helps you to see where you're going wrong. So let's go in the Old Testament now to Proverbs, which is immediately after the book of Psalms. And let me make a few comments about Proverbs. Proverbs are short, common sayings that usually have some kind of striking, uh, striking way of statement so that they are memorable. But they contain a wealth of insight in just a few words. And Proverbs, you can see, in verse 1, it talks about these are the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. Is he the only person to ever write Proverbs? Are the Israelites the only culture to have Proverbs? No. All kinds of cultures have Proverbs. And Proverbs, as I said, contain bits and pieces of wisdom. So let me give you a few from other cultures. There's a Nigerian proverb that says, in the moment of crisis, the wise build bridges and the foolish build dams. Of course, if you're going through a difficult time, you need a, a bridge to help you get through it or get over it. But if you're going through a difficult time, last thing you want to do is build walls see, and things like that that's going to shut others out and shut yourself in. Another African proverb comes from the Ashanti tribe. When you follow in the path of your father, you learn to walk like him. So true. And when it says walk like him, it's not talking about your physical gait that you walk just like your dad. It's talking about the lifestyle that you live. There's the tendency in all of us to follow down the exact same path that we saw our parents go down. We generally make the same decisions, think accordingly until... The word of God comes and is able to change how we think about something. So as the Ashanti said, when you follow in the path of your father, you learn to walk like him. Here's a Chinese proverb. And we have things similar in English. A bird does not sing because it has an answer. It sings because it has a song. Well, another one from, from uh, Chinese proverbs. A book is like a garden carried in the pocket. Think about that. There's a, there's a, you can put a lot of information in a book. And to, to master that information make you kind of smart. Here's a good Arabic proverb. Avoid the company of liars, but if you can't, don't believe them. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, see, <clears throat> if you just have to be around people that you know are liars, don't believe a thing they're saying. That's true. That's a proverb. That's That's smart. Here's another Arabic proverb. Wealth comes like a turtle and runs away like a gazelle. Well, we have even in the Bible where it says that, that, that uh, wealth, it says poverty comes in like an armed man. But it talks about wealth flying away with the wings of an eagle. Sometimes it takes a long period of time to acquire wealth, material possessions and abundance. But you know as well as I do, it can leave quickly. There are a lot of people in this world who have spent their lifetimes in order, or I should say this way, spent their health in order to acquire wealth. But then get older and get ill and have to spend all of their wealth in order to acquire wealth. Uh, health, I should say. Okay, so here, here's a Russian, Russian proverb. 
An empty barrel makes the greatest amount of sound. And, and what they're saying is that the ignorant and, and stupid people talk more loudly than other folks. Yeah, they're, they're normally ones making the most noise. Yeah. Another Russian proverb, do not cut the branch you're sitting on. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, you, <laughs> you just gonna start cutting. So you don't want to do anything that's going to bring harm to yourself. A Spanish proverb, misfortune never comes one at a time. That's true. Normally, a number of them are coming. Another Spanish proverb, two roosters do not crow in the same hen house. That's, that's it. It's, they say peace is disrupted whenever two people try to take it, uh, usurp the authority of the other. Well, we all have proverbs, and you know we have them in our culture also. So if we say what goes up must come where? Come down. If, if we say what goes around, it has to come around. Uh, your parents, I'm sure, probably told you, you you made your bed, so now you've got to lie in it. All of these sayings emerged from years of observing people's habits, just watching how people conduct themselves. And people started talking about this, and pretty soon these sayings became quite popular. And this is why if a person takes the time to master some Proverbs, Wonderful things can take place because you do become wise hearted. And I'll show you this now from the Proverbs of Solomon, chapter one. Verse one tells us Solomon is the author. He's the son of David. Why is Solomon important and what should we know about him? Solomon was the son of David and Bathsheba. You know the story from second Samuel. You know that David had an adulterous affair with Bathsheba, had Bathsheba's husband murdered. Because of that, he ended up in trouble with the Lord. God sent Nathan to him. So Bathsheba lost the child with which she was pregnant. David went to her again as, as her husband, and she had Solomon. And she was quite pleased, and he was quite pleased. And um, the, the name Solomon has a lot to do with the word peace. When Solomon got older, you will recall that as David was preparing to die, one of David's older sons, Adonijah, tried to take over the throne. And he's just going to push his father right on out. When Bathsheba and Nathan and others heard about it, Nathan, the prophet, said to Bathsheba, you go in and tell David, Adonijah is trying to take the throne. He has not invited us, the important people in the kingdom, to be a part of this ceremony of his and say, did you not promise that Solomon would sit on your throne? And after you say that, I'll come in immediately afterwards and I'll confirm what you're saying. So that's what she did. Once she was done, the prophet came in, confirmed what Bathsheba was saying. And David listened to this and heard that his own son was trying to take over the throne. And he said, this is what you do. You take my young son, Solomon, and put him on the king's mule and walk him through the streets of the city and have people shouting out, God save the king. Talking about Solomon. Said, make sure that you have the high priest down there to anoint him with oil and blow the trumpets. And that's how Solomon became king. This man went on to build God a temple. 
God appeared to Solomon in a dream in a dream and asked him, what is it that you want? You you're such a good young man. I'll give you any desire of your heart. And Solomon, he could have asked for wealth. He could have asked for houses and lands. The one prayer he had was, Lord, give me wisdom. And God said, because you have asked for wisdom, I'll give you all these other material blessings and things like that. So Solomon grew up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. He did what was right in the sight of God for a season. And then as he continued to grow in wealth and in esteem and prestige, it says in the book of Kings that he began to love many foreign women whose hearts turned, excuse me, whose, whose lifestyles turned his heart from God. So he started building all of these elaborate temples for his ladies and was involved with promoting the worship of that. By the time he got older, he was able to write Ecclesiastes and said, I've, I've worked at applying my heart to wisdom and I see that all is vanity. How does wisdom come to people? Sometimes it comes just by living. But you have to learn from, from living. I've, I've seen people grow older and not grow wiser, but at least Solomon was able to give us the Proverbs, and the Scripture says he spoke over 3,000 Proverbs about insects and trees and people. So it says here in verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, and then verse 2, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. To perceive the words of understanding. Proverbs enhances an individual's abilities of discernment. Yeah. You master these 31 chapters. You, you read a chapter a day or read a few verses every day and just spend a year with your face in the book of Proverbs. I guarantee you'll be the better for it at the end of the year because of what you'll have inside of your heart. The book of Proverbs gives you the ability to perceive the words of understanding. You can tell when people are speaking wisely or if people are speaking foolishly. But you won't know the difference if you don't take the time to to, to study the truth. It's like when I was a Marine security guard and I knew I was going to be guarding diplomats overseas. So in the FBI Academy, we had a class where you had to study counterfeit money. And you would have thought that the way they would train you to recognize counterfeit money would be to bring out all of this counterfeit paraphernalia and show you the different ways that people try to make these bad copies. That's not what they do at all. They bring out the original dollar bill from the mint. And they want you to, to study that, to master the positions of everything on there, down to the centimeter or the inches to know where everything is supposed to be. And then when they bring out to you what is false, then you should be able to recognize it simply by looking at it. And this is what, what God does through his word. He gives us the ability to perceive the words of understanding if we take the time to meditate on Solomon's Proverbs. And I can tell you, Solomon made enough mistakes that we can all benefit from the wisdom he learned. Any man, with, any man foolish enough to have a thousand wives and concubines has learned a lot of things that are wrong. Yeah, I can assure you. Verse 3, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, which means that individuals who take the time to read the Proverbs should have a teachable spirit. Be teachable. 
If, if you don't have a teachable heart, if you don't have a, a pliable and moldable mind, how are you ever going to learn anything? Some, some people just say, well, look, this is what I've always believed, and that's all there is to it. Well, that's all there is to it for you. But that's not all there is to it for somebody who's, who's taking the time to gain, gain a closer knowledge of the Lord and come to truth. The scripture says in verse 3 here, to receive the instruction. That means it's coming your way. You have to be willing to listen to what wisdom is saying. If you move further down to verse 20, you will notice it says wisdom cries outside. She utters her voice in the streets. She cries in the chief place of concourse and in the opening of the gates of the city. She utters her voice. She says, how long, ye simple ones, will you love simplicity? That, that's a, that, that's a, a very nice way. It's a euphemism. That's to say in a very nice way, how long will you dummies be dumb? That's what he's saying. Yeah. How long will you simple ones love simplicity and scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge? Turn you at my reproof. So every day of your life and my life, whether we hear the voice and pay attention to it or not, wisdom cries up and down the streets of Fair County, up and down the streets of Nebraska, up and down the streets of the heartland, United States of America and other places. And there is always something to be learned by observing people's behavior and listening to how people talk. The scripture says older men should be examples to younger men. Older women should be examples to younger women. That's not always the case. But there should be a model that individuals can see and hear and within their heart have enough sense to say, I want to imitate that. Now, I realize none of us in here are perfect, and, and most of us come to the point and place of <clears throat> knowledge at different stages of our life. You cannot live beyond the light or revelation that you have. You can only live in the revelation that you have. And to be quite honest with you, the, the, the more you love God and the more you learn God, the more you know about how to live this life. That's why our relationship with God as far as our affection for him is so important. Because the more I love him, the more I want to get to know him. The more I get to know him, the more I want to love him. And all of that passion drives us to learn what it is that this wonderful being has said to us through his word. To receive the instruction of wisdom. I must love the wise words of God more than the wise words of Dr. Phil. He, he may be a very nice man. And I must, I must love the, the wise words of God more than I love the words of some politician. And the politician may be a very bright, brilliant person. To receive the instruction of wisdom. How do we turn our receivers on? The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You have to hear the word of God in order for the Lord to, to, to turn the ears on to be able to hear. I think it was last week I may have told you that around the world, there are many people who've lost their hearing because they never have learned to clean the wax out. Kids in undeveloped nations, death, not because of any genuine infirmity, but something as simple as wax. 
So the hearing of the word of God is what gives God the ability to, to take his little spiritual Q-tip and then work on you and work on me and try to get us to a place where we can hear what he's saying. Because faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of the Lord. It is the word of God that gives us the ability to hear what the spirit is saying to the churches, which we are, to the Christians. So look at verse four then. This is what Proverbs also do. Give subtlety to the simple. To the young man, knowledge and discretion. This book, the book of Proverbs, is able to take the simple person and educate him or her. Now, if you've ever in your life felt like you were uneducated and felt like you weren't that bright and walked into a room with people that that, that you felt were uh, very intelligent and had all kinds of insight and, and so on and so on and so on. I can tell you one thing. You master this book, you'll be able to sit with anybody. And talk and you'll be able to listen to what they're saying and you'll be able to perceive whether or not what they're saying is right or wrong or true or false, correct or error. Whether or not what they're saying is edifying or destructive. Are they lying to me? Are they telling the truth? It gives subtlety to the simple. It gives you the ability to be crafty. So you, you, you can use your mind now and apply it in ways that you've never applied it before. You, you hear some people say that, you know, such and such person, they, they always have quick retorts, or quick re- replies. They've always got something to say in response. Imagine if somebody who was as quick-witted as that had mastered the book of Proverbs and knew God's mind. I mean, this book is amazing just to give you a couple of examples. Turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Look at verse number 9. Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thy increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and the presses. Thy presses shall burst out with new wine. The Lord said, you make sure you bless him out of what he has blessed you with. And he ensures that your barns remain full. Now that's agricultural language. We all understand that. And, and that's Vintner language, you know, people that that deal with uh, wine and everything. Vineyards. Notice verse 11. My son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as the father, the son, in whom he delighted. It goes on to say in, in, uh, in Hebrews, no correction or chastening seems to be nice at the time it's given, but it yields peaceable fruit. All correction is designed to produce in us peace so that we're right with God. So you go to a funeral or a wedding. And and have you ever gone and and sat at at a funeral or heard somebody say, I want to go to the funeral, but I'm not sure how my my kids are going to act. Or maybe you've been at a funeral before and the whole time in the funeral, the the kids are jumping up back and forth. People trying to shh, shh. And they're jumping up back and forth, making all kinds of noise. And, and, and sometimes the parents just act like they don't see what the kids are doing, but everybody else sees what's going on. And they just kind of keep looking forward. And it's an irritation to everybody. But nobody wants to correct. But then you look, you see a, a, another group, and they'll have children, and the kids all just be sitting there. Well, it's, it's a difference in how they handle the procedure of correction. The whole point of it is to produce peace. Because God enjoys children of God that are well behaved. 
And most parents have a tendency to enjoy their, their kids when their kids are well, well behaved. Notice, notice here in verse 13, happy is the man that finds wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. Happy is the one that has wisdom. That's how important it is. Okay, let's go back to Proverbs 1 now. I've told you so far that according to verse 2, wisdom gives you, the Proverbs gives you the ability to, to have discernment. That verse 3, we must be teachable when we read the Proverbs. Verse 4, the most uneducated person, the man or woman that, that, that feels that, that they know nothing at all. They can become wise by learning the Proverbs. And then it says here in verse 4, the young man receives knowledge and discretion. So you, you have all met young people that you, you, you heard people say, he, he's just or she's just wise beyond their years. You know, they, they, uh, they have a, a, a kind of character and personality that seems to be, be good. When, when I was a younger minister and I'd go different places to, to preach, and often I, I heard people say, they say, you know, you preach like an old man. You know, that was when I was younger. They say, you, you preach like an old man. The stuff that you say, how, how, how do you know all of this stuff? Spending time with older people and, and, and learning from, from what they have to say. Spending time with, with good ministers who taught me the right thing. So notice verse 5 there. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. So the cumulative effect of mastering uh, Solomon's Proverbs is that it gives us the ability to listen, the desire to hear. A wise man will hear. Because later on you see in the Proverbs it says, a fool uttereth all his mind. He or she just has to have the last word and just has to talk on every subject. And I have met people that are experts on every subject on this planet. There is nothing they do not know. They just don't know they don't know. And that's what makes it even worse. The scripture says a wise man will hear and increase learning. How can I learn more? How can I learn more? How can I learn more? By listening. You, you can't always learn by talking, but just by listening. I asked my dad one time, because my dad is, is very gifted with his hands. If, if, it can, if it has to do with a house or a car, he can do it. He, he can repair it. He can fix it. doesn't matter what kind of motor it is. And I asked him one time, I said, how in the world did you learn all this carpentry and plumbing and electrical stuff and all this construction and masonry stuff? He said, well, back in the 50s, he said when I was uh, in the mid-50s, when I was about 20, and he said, you know, times were a lot different then. And he said, it wasn't a whole lot of money to be made if, 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 if you were black. He said, but I, I found in our neighborhood there was a construction site, and, and there were some people there. And he said, I just went to the, the man that ran the place and just asked, is there anything that I can do around here? I'll sweep the floor. I'll do whatever. And he said, little by little, he just started hanging out with the people on the construction site, and pretty soon just started moving on up, moving on up, moving on up, until pretty soon dad ended up being a foreman. At a, at a steel plant, and on the side, on the weekends, he'd have me and my brothers, and he'd be shingling roofs, framing houses, pouring concrete, making all that money on the side, but it came because he didn't start from the position, I already know everything. 
but he started from the position, I don't know, and I need to learn. I had one of my men in the church tell me when uh, their, their, their child was getting ready to go off to college, <laughs> said to me, he said, Pastor, I don't even know why he's going to college. He already knows everything there is to know. He said, no matter, no matter when we try to correct him, he knows everything there. He already knows. I, I, I know, Dad, I know. Dad, Dad I know, I know. See, well, why, why pay the tuition if you're smarter than the professor? So verse 5 shows us that the cumulative effect of mastering these Proverbs is that we will hear and then also it will, it will change the people group with whom we affiliate. It says, a man of understanding shall attain under wise counsels. A person who is pursuing wisdom and wants to be wise wants to be around wise people. It changes your peer group. So friends that you once had, you start chasing after God like this and you realize you, you lose some of those friends because you find out how foolish they are as you begin to read the word of God. And so you have to start praying, God, give me people around me that love you and that are wiser than me that I can learn from them. That, that's a very important thing. You, you cannot get smarter by hanging around people that don't love God. It, it's just, it, it's, it's, not, it's not possible. Now, I, I realize that we live in a world where most people don't pursue God with, with this kind of passion, but you can be the exception. You don't have to be the norm. A wise man, a man of understanding, shall attain unto wise counsel. How will I know if I'm in the presence of somebody who is counseling with wisdom? You'll know because of verse 2. You start mastering the Proverbs, and it says in verse 2, you'll perceive the words of understanding. You will hear what people are saying, and then you will think, that, that, that person does have some smarts about him, and we should pay attention. When, when we were younger, and you may have been the exception to this, most younger people, most teenagers, are really not interested in listening to what mom and dad have to say or what their grandparents have to say or hanging around with their grandparents. Oh, dad, goodness, you folks are still living in the father knows best era. Leave it to Beaver is no longer a hit, Dad. You know, that kind of a thing. But then when young people get older and they have to do more now than go to school and just come home and eat up everything in the refrigerator and slam the door as hard as they can when they're going in and out of the house and actually have to start paying for a car, and insurance, and rent, and buying food, and they have to deal with bills and a budget, then... then then, then suddenly they start having second thoughts about some of the things mom and dad said. And then when the kids come along and the kids start getting older and the kids start doing the same thing to them that they did to mom and dad, then all of a sudden, I mean, mom and dad starting to look more and more like geniuses. I mean, grandparents love grandkids. I mean, you get a double portion of what you gave to me. See, that's, that's what, that's what they, they, they say. Okay, well, let's, let's begin with, with the first proverb here in, in uh, chapter 1. Look at verse 7. Here's a very beautiful one. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, notice that the fear of the Lord, it, it's, not the, it's not the peak, it's not the acme, it's the initial stage of... of uh, Knowledge, just having a, a wonderful reverence and a fear of the Lord. 
The fear of the Lord will affect your actions because your conduct will change when you have a, a, a wonderful reverence for God. I don't want to be doing anything I shouldn't be doing, knowing that God's looking over my shoulders. This will help us to receive the mind of God, and, and that's where his knowledge is at. The, the scripture here makes it very plain that fools despise wisdom and instruction. Since wisdom and instruction are dispensed by God, fool, fools despise God, and they despise God's word. So if you hear somebody on television or someone in the community or someone that you're having a meal with and they're doing everything they can to run down Scripture and run down the things of God, then you already know you are not dealing with someone who is giving you words of understanding. Fools despise instruction and, uh, and wisdom, as it says here. But, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. As soon as you stepped out of sin and started walking with God, it's at that point your eyes were open and, and God begins to do something great in your life. He's changing the way that you do things. Fear of the Lord. There's a little proverb we have in English. We say a mind is a terrible thing to what? Waste. Put it to good use. Meditate on the things of God. Renew your mind daily with the scripture. To give you an illustration of how powerful the mind is. There was a nuclear physicist named N.J. Stoll, who back in the late 40s and 50s was one of the people who worked in these top secret laboratories on the hydrogen bomb. So this man knew all about atomic energy and everything. So he was in on the whole deal with the, the bomb that, that fell on uh, the the cities over there in Japan. But then in the early 50s, he became a Christian. He learned about God. Well, he was a devout atheist. He didn't care about God. And in his testimony, he, he shares how he became a, a Christian. He said his wife went off on a trip, and, and, and he, in the back of his mind, he'd been thinking, is there a God? Can there really be a God? And he said he got on his knees, since he knew that's what people did, and he just said a, a simple prayer. God, if you're real, could you just manifest yourself? And this is an atheist scientist in a community of scholars that are all atheists and don't believe anything in connection with God. He said at this same period of time, they were working on these instruments that were trying to measure the brain waves in a person's head. And so he said through their studies, they, they had determined that the average individual doesn't have just one brain wave length, but several of them. And they are, they are as different as your fingerprints. So he said he and his research scientists, since they were in a research hospital, they decided to go to a, a facility where they knew that people were slowly dying. And they wanted to try to monitor individuals' transition from life to death, and they wanted to pay attention to the brain. So they had this instrument set up in the center. It was at zero, and then all the way to the right, it had 500. Then all the way to the left, it had 500. So you could go positive 500, or you can go negative 500. So they said they hooked it up with a lady to a lady who had brain cancer, but she still had all of her faculties. The cancer had only affected her equilibrium. And they said they, they hooked it up when they knew she was just moments away from death. And, of course, the lady knew that they had the instruments on her. All the scientists were in the room. 
They had a little quarter-sized microphone in there. They said the lady was laying there in the bed, and as she knew she was slowly dying, she started praying. And she just said, Father, I thank you that you gave your son, and, and I, I'm so sorry that my life hadn't been all that you would have desired it to be, but, but thank you for forgiving me of my sins, and, and I'm so grateful that I came to know your son. She goes on goes on, start praying for all of these different people that she'd had problems with, and, and then the lady expired. Now, they're listening to all of this, and they hear this clicking sound, clicking sound, this clicking sound. And when they look down, the, the, the needle was bouncing, trying to go forward of that positive 500. All of the scientists were in there in tears. And they, 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 they saw that, and they were wondering, what in the world is it that could, could cause that thing to even want to go past the 500? So they said, well, let's, let's test this on someone else who, who, who's dying, and let's do something a little bit different. Let's ask the nurse to go in there, and this person who's preparing to die, let's ask the nurse to antagonize him. So the nurse went in there, and in a, in a very nice way, but tactful, was flirting with this gentleman. And then when the gentleman started acting like he was interested, then the nurse said, I'm not interested in you, and just start treating him real bad. Well, the man got upset. He was yelling and screaming at the nurse. He started cursing. They heard the clicking and everything again. He was taking the name of the Lord in vain. This time, the needle was all the way over here, 500 in the negative. And, and that man, that, that nuclear physicist, came to the belief, it's amazing that how up here in his head, that the transgression of the commandments could have such an effect on you that it would take you 500 negative, but the drawing close to God through prayer could affect you in the other way. Uh, imagine how, how different so many people could be if they just take the time to think about God and, and meditate on God. Yeah. Scripture says here, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That means that the fear of the Lord is what begins the process of creativity in your life. It's at the point you begin to fear God. God can begin to create things through you. Wonderful things. Things that you never would be able to create on your own. But the mind of God, the genius of God, the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God being applied in your life. And God uses you to create things that you never could have created on your own. Now, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is data, information. Wisdom is the rightful use or the skillful application of that data. I know if somebody shows me a toolbox, I can point out to you different kinds of tools that are in there. But that doesn't mean I could use all of them. See? That doesn't mean I could rebuild an engine. I, I, I could point out to you what a shingle is, a ladder and all of that, but that doesn't mean I can get up there and shingle a roof the right way. You can be exceptionally gifted in many different things, but at the same time not have wisdom in other areas of your life. I've seen people who, who really are wise master builders when it comes to putting everything together, but they're not good husbands. Mm -hmm. And I've seen people that are very good husbands, very good fathers, but they're not real good with repairing an engine. And I, I've seen people who are good at repairing an engine, but they're not good at shopping for women. But I've met some guys that can shop for a woman better than, than some other women that I've met. It's, 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 it's a difference. 
The wisdom that God provides a person allows them to function in their life in such a way that their gifts bless people. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you want to know more about God and about God's world, it starts with being able to say, Lord, I reverence you. Millions of people have created all kinds of inventions that are great blessings to this world because of a fear of God. The printing press. Yeah, because of a fear of God. People love, love the Lord. The, the, the 20th century of every century in the history, uh, the recorded history of the world, the 20th century has probably seen more inventions and advances probably than any other one that's taken people further forward. You realize most of these people had some kind of belief? In God? Yeah. The fear of the Lord, I think, is important because people uh, genuinely want to get to the bottom of how something works. It it, it still amazes me when I think that in the year uh, that I was born and folks went up there around the the moon and uh, I think it was Colonel Borman up there on that, 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 uh, that ship and they told the people that standing by, they said the next voice you're going to hear is going to be from so-and-so up there in space. They're up there in orbit. And what does the man do when he starts reading and most of America or many people in America are listening live? He starts reading Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Even up there, people's minds are on God. You see, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Well, reverse it. If you remove the fear of God, you remove the foundation of knowledge. We don't want the Ten Commandments in school. So we've exchanged the Ten Commandments for condoms and machines. Yeah. We, we don't want in the, the, the school system people talking about the Lord a bit too much. But we, we have other things in there that people talk about that some people probably don't want them to talk about. It's all a matter of exchanging one thing for another. What is the foundation of knowledge? What is the beginning of knowledge? It is the fear of the Lord. Well, let me give you one other thing here. How do I acquire or obtain the fear of God? Read the book. Learn the narratives that are in the Bible. These things are designed to cause you and me to stand in awe of God. When you read the Bible and you see the story where it says that God delivered the children of Israel and brought them out by a mighty hand, by signs and wonders, and led them to the Red Sea and the Red Sea parted, that that account is designed to cause you to recognize the awesome power of God. Yeah. And when you believe that, so you got, you got to read the accounts and believe it. And when you believe that, then that fear of God begins to function in your life in a great, in a mighty way. But if you don't put anything in, you're not going to get anything out. If you don't read scriptures that produce reverence, you're not going to get a fear of the Lord on the inside of you. If you read the story about how the Lord caused the axe head to float, they're out there trying to chop down trees. Axe head goes out into the middle of the, the pond. But man of God goes out there to the edge of the, the waters and with a stick, he throws a stick in where the axe head went in. And the Bible says the axe head suddenly began to just, 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 just float right on over there to the shore. You read stories like that, it's like, oh, my Lord, we serve a great 
and mighty God. Anybody who could cause a man to sleep in a lion's den and a man come out of it entirely whole is a God that can protect and preserve you. But if you read stories in Scripture and come to the conclusion, I don't believe it, then the fear of the Lord is removed from your eyes so it cannot affect you in a positive way. And believe me when I tell you, we, we have a generation that doesn't have the fear of the Lord. And as the book of, if you don't believe me, read the book of Judges and you'll see this phrase over and over again. And, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Well, pastor, I don't see anything wrong with that. Translation, I'm doing what I think is right in my own eyes. Well, scripture says there is a way that seems to be right, but the end of that path is destruction. I really wonder, I really wonder if, if, if your grandparents or great-grandparents were here today with all the inventions that we have, I wonder would they believe that as a people we're better off with our conduct today? You know, because usually, you know, every generation believes that their generation is going to hell in a handbasket. So everybody longs for the good old days, but for the people that were in the good old days, they didn't think the good old days were that great because they were always longing for the good old days their ancestors had. But I tell you this, if there's anything that I know that will keep an individual Christian life, an individual church, and a nation and a community, is the fear of God. Because if I have a reverence for God, I'm going to treat you in the way that God wants you to be treated. Yeah. If I don't have a fear of God, I'll just treat you like you're anything. It won't really matter. There's no consequences for my actions. I won't ever be judged for my wrongdoing. But if I believe one day I'll stand before God and give an account for what I do in this body, I'm going to be very careful about how I treat my brother. Very careful about how I treat my sister, careful about what I say, what I do, because the one thing I don't want to do is cast a stumbling block before you that it cause you to lose your faith in God. The Lord said anybody that calls a child to disbelieve in him, he said, woe to that person, it's better that a millstone be tied to his neck. Can you? Oh, oh my, can you imagine? Why would anybody want to teach children not to believe in God? But there are people in this world like that. Let's pray. Father, make us wise-hearted. Help us to read in the Proverbs the things that you place there. Help us to be strong, bold, but at the same time, Lord, give us an understanding heart. We want to pray like Solomon prayed. God, if we have wisdom, we know that good things can happen. And Lord, we don't want to make bad decisions over and over again. But give us the insight to know when we're at the crossroads or at an intersection, give us the ability to make the right choice. And if by some strange reason we choose wrongly, God, help us to have the heart that David had to seek after you, that even then, Lord, you can correct our steps and put us back on the path of righteousness. It's these things we pray for tonight, Lord, as we depart here. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.